So we are um, in this year-end series we're calling Revelation. It's not that we're specifically at this point walking through uh, the book of Revelation um, systematically, but this uh, every year, if you're new here, um, every year around the summertime, we begin praying and asking God for just a prophetic word for our church for the coming year. And it's not that that's the be and the end all of everything, but I just believe that in seasons, God is always interested in where he's going. We have to, in our life, deal with where we've been and, and uh, process the past and do things like that. But God is always moving forward in one way or another. And even in a season like we're in, where it seems like we can't gain traction in almost anything, um, God is still moving forward. And the word that we believe he's just kind of inviting us into as a church is this word revelation. And in the Greek, apocalypsos is not a disaster, right? So apocalypse, unbeknownst to Hollywood, is not, doesn't mean disaster. It means a pulling back and a revealing, like a pulling back the curtain to reveal what's actually there, what's, what's maybe been hidden, but what's actually present in there. And we as a church believe as we step into 2022 that God wants to kind of pull back a curtain and show us and give us a sort of a really real reality of what he's doing on the earth and in our lives and in our church. In a sense, what Jesus was saying to John as he began the book of Revelation is, John, things aren't what they seem. And in a season where it's very easy for us to be uh, so heavily influenced by what we see around us, Jesus is calling us to step into a different space and invite him to show us the things that we can't see that may be even more real than what we can see. And how do we live our lives from that foundation? That was the life of Jesus everywhere he went. He led based on what his father was speaking to him and showing him. What he saw around him didn't influence his life. The really real reality of what was taking place in heavenly places did and so that's where we're going, and we're tying in Advent with this uh, series just as a way for us to be intentional, um, not only on Sunday morning, but through the week. And we're doing the same Advent stuff with our kids and our kids' ministry. And what our heart and our hope is that as a family or as couples or even on an individual basis that, that you would move into a different zone of intentionality with your faith life, even if it's just for this season here. So uh, there's cards that are on the chairs by you, and that's this week's sort of Advent stuff. There's some scripture verses there, and there's some things to process and ponder. Again, if you're a parent um, with kids, the, the kids are coming home with these same things. And here's our encouragement, that you would actually take them home, and take time this week in your course of events of your week. Take time to be with Jesus and to uh, more deeply and intentionally reflect on, pray on, ponder, spend time with him in these specific areas. Um, so as part of that, we're going to do a little bit of an Advent reading. And Indy's going to come up. Indy is one of our fearless parking lot guys, and so he made mention that he's taking notes of your license plates when you don't listen to where he's telling you to go. We have a naughty list that's, uh, no, I'm just kidding. You know, he would never do that, would you? You just said rack em, stack em, pack em. Yeah, <laughs> rack em, stack em, pack em. Anyway, I'm going to invite you to stand uh, as Indy reads these uh, verses that we have compiled for Advent this week. Good morning. Uh, three readings. Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Revelation 1.17-19. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. 
Then he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead and now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. And John 14, 12 to 14. Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Amen. Before we sit down, let's just uh, pray. Jesus, we just give you uh, this morning again, and, and it's your word that brings transformation, not mine, not us. It's only you in us. And so we just come to you and ask, Holy Spirit, for your counsel, your conviction, your teaching, and your instruction. Amen. You can have a seat. So today, specifically, um, we're in this next week. Pastor Brenda spoke last week about having a revelation of hope. And we're building on that this week with with a revelation of faith. And like we've read, Hebrews 11.1 1 says that uh, faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It's the evidence of things we cannot see. So um, I just have in my few notes I scribbled down here today, it's faith is not simply belief or seeing things differently. So faith, as it relates to, like I'm talking about a sort of a macro view of Scripture, faith is not relegated to the area of intellectual uh, belief or agreement even with Jesus in what he said. Faith is not just sort of where we land theologically or doctrinally on something. Faith actually must be, for it to be faith, must move from what we believe to what we do, how we live. That's sort of the category that the writer of Hebrews is leaning into. So it's not simply believing or seeing things differently. Faith is what we're willing to do with the hope that we have. That's why the writer of Hebrews says faith is the, the resulting activity that, that comes from that place of hope that we have that Pastor Brenda mentioned last week. It shows the reality. It brings into fruition. It brings out of the realm of idea and belief and theology into practice or orthopraxy. It takes what is kind of unseen and an unseen reality and manifests it in what is seen on the earth. Faith is this essential linchpin between what we cannot see of the supernatural realm, the spiritual realm, and what we can see in the natural. And faith cannot exist only in the one. Faith is actually the conduit that brings into being the things that are taking place in the supernatural realm. Faith is that essential linchpin. And so faith, for us, it cannot be merely an intellectual exercise. It can't be just sort of, here's my position on this issue or this subject matter or whatever it is. Faith must be walked out. It must be that connecting point between heaven and the earth. As Jesus prayed, may your will be done on the earth as it is in heaven. Faith requires us to move into activity. I love how Dallas Willard puts it, because we get a bit nervous about this sometimes, about this line of, you know, justified by faith and grace and not by works and all of these things which are true. Dallas Willard says it this way, grace is not opposed to effort, it's opposed to earning. So you don't earn God's approval. We don't earn his approval by, by stepping into different measures of faith. But faith is necessary, a necessary component of our belief is that it moves out into reality and it shapes how we live. 
and shapes what we do, shapes the decisions that we make. The question for me and for you is what is shaping the direction of your life right now? If you were to just take a, a quick audit of things going on in your life, what, what part of your life is hope in Jesus and faith in him shaping? Or is your life a product of what you can do, what you're good at doing, what you have capacity for, what you have skill set for, what you have ability for? Another way to ask the question, and I would ask this of my own, is what in my life is taking place that I can't produce out of my own strength or gifting or energy? Are things happening in my life that can only be the result of God at work? Or is my life actually a, a, a result of what is definable, predictable, and planable and strategizable and all the ables that you could think of. I was really impacted by just a few short words in the beginning of Revelation. We talked about that in depth a couple of weeks ago. But Revelation 1, 10 and 11, I was impacted by a few words. I've been chewing on them for a while. John says, it was the Lord's day and I was worshiping in the spirit. Suddenly I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet blast. And it said, write in a book. And those three words just kind of arrested me. You know, as we've talked about, the, the backdrop to what John is walking through as he's kind of introducing us to what's happening in the book of Revelation. He's a political prisoner on the island of Patmos. Everything that is meaningful and important to him is on the mainland. Actually, all of the churches that he's been given charge of to lead and shepherd and steward are on the mainland. All of the relationships that are most important to him are on the mainland. And, and the mainland is the place where all hell is broken loose, where they're experiencing heavy persecution from Domitian. There's false teachers that are coming in and they're dividing and scattering and tearing apart the flock. And John is sitting there on this island and he can't do anything about it, right? So he doesn't have Twitter or Facebook. He can't send out like a direct message to the leaders. He doesn't have, I was going to say Tinder, but that's not appropriate in this context, he doesn't have Snapchat. That's what I was thinking of. Um, he doesn't have those things that he can just fire off a quick message to the leaders of the churches. He's helpless. And he knows, he feels the weight and the pressure that's, that, that they're under on the mainland. And what does God ask him to do? John, write it in a book. Get your pen and write this. And as I was thinking about that and thinking about it as it relates to faith, I... I just was struck with how insulting that could have been to John. Like, what are you talking about, God? How is writing this down gonna help anybody right now? How is writing this down gonna bring relief to my brothers and sisters on the mainland? How is writing this down? They're not even gonna get it for four months or five months. We don't have email. We don't have, you know, instant messaging. I got to like write it down, you know, find the postmaster if there is one on the island, send it on a ship across. God, they're, they're in trouble right now. Like they need my help right now. The stuff in my life is going south fast, God. And yet he says, write it down. Faith requires that we take the insignificant, minuscule things of our life and begin to entrust them again to the work of Jesus. Often what we want, and I'm sure what John wanted, was like, God, um, you know what would be great is like send Gabriel or Michael, one of them, and like, kind of do something supernatural and powerful in the churches there. Like, 
I, I want to see some like huge, like amazing event take place. And often we have the same relationship with faith. God, I want to see you do the impossible around me. And what God is saying is I'm capable to do the impossible, but what I'm calling you to do is the little thing like just write it down. I'm not asking you to have faith for these big, ginormous, like neon lights things. God can do all of those and we celebrate those. But where we kind of find the disconnection is that we're not willing to do the simple things that build a life and a foundation of trust and the evidence of our hope in God. And so we say, that's too small, God. I... I need more help than that right now. My marriage is a, a disaster right now, or my kids are a disaster, or my work, or whatever. I can't make ends meet. I need your help right now. And often what God would say in that moment is you're looking for something that I'm not providing yet, and yet you're unwilling to do the very small thing that I'm inviting you into. Faith is the evidence, the substance of what we hope for. It's Write it down, John. I wonder if John had any idea that the, the write it down, John, and record what you see here would impact tens or hundreds of millions of people over thousands of years. I wonder if he could see that. I wonder what would happen if we could see the, the net result of the small things, the write it down level things in our life that over time what God would do as we build a foundation of actually walking in the hope that we have in Jesus in the little things, what he could do as he lays layer upon layer of that kind of foundation in our life. Just write it down, just write it down. But God, my marriage is falling apart. Just write it down, just do the little things, just do the little things. I need a miracle. God, in my health and in my finances, just do the little things. Just do the little things. Just be faithful to me. Just, just actually show that what you hope for will work itself out in the little things that you are willing to do for me. And for John, it was this little thing that seemed so insignificant. So like, this is not going to help right now. And it's the little thing that God uses to build a foundation on. It's the little thing that God then takes with his might and his power and turns it into a big ginormous thing thousands of years later down the road. I wonder for us in our faith, as we talk about this, what are the things that we're unwilling to do today because they seem so menial and insignificant? As we wait for, like, God, I want this big thing to happen, what are we not willing to do today because it seems beneath us or insignificant or trivial? And yet to John, it was just write it down. Just write it down, John. But God, this isn't going to help. Just write it down, John. But God, you know, I need this and this. Just write it down, John. And entrust me with the big things. Be faithful in the little faith is the evidence of things hoped for. One scholar says it this way, faith apprehends as a real fact what is not revealed to the senses. So faith treats what is not revealed to our senses as a real reality, a real fact, and then begins to live out of that. He goes on to say, it rests on the fact, acts upon it, and is upheld by it in the face of all that seems to contradict it. Faith is real seeing. Faith acts on, by definition, must act on the hope that we have in Christ. There's two areas I just want to bring to your attention, there, there would be more than this, but that would be starting points for this in our life. Two simple, menial, seemingly insignificant areas of our life that we often overlook, we often devalue and diminish as it relates to faith. 
But faith is like a muscle that needs to be developed and built. You know that you can grow in your faith. You can grow in strengthening your faith. It's not static. Faith isn't a static thing. It's a muscle that we build over time that begins with the simple little things. The first one I just want to draw your attention to is our time, which seems so basic and almost seems like, we, like what's the point in even talking about this? But how we spend our time, how we schedule our day, how our time is governed is a direct result of our trust in God or not. Whether you are willing to actually um, consistently give God the first and best of your day every day is a result of whether you really trust him in your life or not. But God, I've got a, a company to run and I've got employees to take care of and I've got 100 million emails that came in overnight. I don't have time right now to deal with this or I don't have time to deal with you on this, God. I've got a family that needs me or that's falling apart or, or schoolwork that's bearing down on me or all of these things. There's a million reasons why we could shove God out of our time equation, our scheduling equation in life and just... Just take care of the stuff we know we need to. And yet God is saying, just write it down, John. Just schedule the time, Andrew. Just schedule it and meet with me every morning. But God, my kids are up early and all life just gets crazy. The moment they get up and the moment, then do it before, Andrew. Would you commit to being on your knees in the dark when no one else is awake and set me as the first priority of life? That is the evidence of your trust in me for the rest of your day. That's the evidence of it. Just write it down, John. Just get on your knees, Andrew. Schedule it in. Am I really a priority in your life or not? Is your time governed by the tyranny of the urgent or by the rhythm of heaven? Faith is the evidence of the things that we hope for. Faith comes through intimacy. Faith is birthed out of intimacy. You cannot have faith in a God that you are not walking in deep intimacy with. And I think that this is part of the reason our faith is languishing in our churches is because we spend no time and make no priority for the presence of God, the relational connection we need to God. We want him to do a lot of stuff for us and bless a lot of things around us. But faith is birthed out of intimacy. Faith comes from a deep knowledge and understanding of the nature and character of God. That only comes when we set aside our time and reprioritize our life rhythms around God as the first in our time. It's the little things. Just write it down. It seems almost like, why bother talking about it? This doesn't seem deep and theological and, you know, all of that stuff. But these are the little things that we just gloss over and we minimize. And God is saying, look, if you want to develop a life of powerful faith, start with how you structure your day and your time. Give me the first and the best and then see what I can do in your life with that. Resist the urge to get involved in problem solve and troubleshoot right away. Come to me first. Resist the urge to spend the first 30 minutes of your day scrolling social media or checking your emails. Trust me first. Come to me first and then go there as I lead you in that. The second area, just simple and pedantic, but would be the second major area. Again, there's more, but how you spend your money is a direct reflection of where your trust actually lies. I'm not talking about, um, you know, stepping back into a, a, a sort of religious dogma about this. Jesus actually in the New Testament affirms tithing. 
Um, and I believe all of scripture does. But more than just the, the discipline of tithing, how we spend our money is a reflection of whether we trust God in our life or not. A couple of years ago, I sensed him challenging me with this, and I would offer this to you too. Uh, I just sensed him saying to me, Andrew, you can't really say you trust me in your life if you're not willing to surrender your checking account to me and prioritize me as the first part. It's not trust when we take care of everything else and then give God what's left over. That's not faith or trust. Faith is the evidence of what we hope for. It's the coming to fruition of what we actually believe. Just write it down, John. That's what Jesus said. Just start writing. But God, how how is giving you this area of my resources going to accomplish anything? Isn't this just sort of legalism? No, just write it down because I'm teaching you to trust in my nature and in my character. I'm teaching you to go to me first for everything. How we handle our time and our financial resources is a direct reflection on whether we have faith in, trust in God or not. And as a church, we can't, we can't sidestep that. We can't be people who claim, you know, in one moment here on Sunday to have great faith, but actually don't restructure our daily habits and our spending around the throne room of God. We can't do that. That's disingenuous for us to do that. Faith is the outworking. We can't say we have faith and then not do something about it and claim that that's a life of faith. It's not. So we need to kind of pull back the curtain and have a revelation, again, a new one, that faith is the evidence of a life that's rooted in deep trust and relationship with God. I want to just take a few moments. Again, I don't want this just to be an intellectual exercise from me. I'm just going to invite Liz to come up. And there are cards on the seats around you. Maybe it's under your seat by now. These little connection cards. The back is blank and there's pens around you. I, I, think, that, I think that there are areas of your life that you... Simple, basic areas of your life and my life that we haven't actually surrendered to Jesus. Maybe recently, maybe at one time you did, but there are simple things that he's calling us to reorient or reshape or restructure in our life to demonstrate that we trust him with our whole life. And so I'm just going to pray and I just want to give you a moment just to, to ask God, to ask the Holy Spirit, are there areas, very simple areas, the, like the write it down, John, really basic things that I've, I've just been neglecting and I haven't even thought about it, but they're areas that reveal a deep lack of trust in you, God, in my life. And so I'm going to pray and I'm going to just give you a moment to to pray and to listen to God. And what I want you to do is to write it down, (laughs) to actually go through the work, to put pen to paper and to externalize what you feel God is speaking to you inside. And so let's just pray and I'm going to give you a moment to do that. God, we don't need my words here. Holy Spirit, we need you. We need your life and your conviction. And so we ask, even according to Psalm 139, that you would search us and test us, examine our hearts, and point out any area of our life where we are not actually living in a trusting relationship with God. We just ask, Holy Spirit, are we out of alignment in the simple things like how we structure our time and schedules or how we organize our finances? Are we stepping into little 
small areas of faith every day with those? Or are we, are we just kind of hoping and waiting for the bigger stuff? And so I just invite you, Holy Spirit, to come. You know exactly what's going on in everyone's heart and mind. So I just want to give you a few moments and I, I really do deeply want to encourage you to write it down. Just It doesn't have to be a profound thought. It doesn't even have to make sense to you. But just write down what you feel God convicting you of in your life. And I want you just to, as, as, as you can, just surrender that area of your life to him again in these moments. Go ahead and do that. God, I pray for each person here that you would revive what it felt like to walk in deep faith with you. That you would revive the the fire that once stirred and burned inside to give every part of our life over to you, to be led by you in everything. That you would rekindle a heart for you in all of the small things. That there would be nothing too small. That we wouldn't be willing to surrender to you. That there would be nothing too insignificant. That we wouldn't ask for your leadership in. I just ask that you would stir in us, remind us again of the, the joy and the thrill of walking with you by faith, of entrusting our family to you and entrusting our future to you and entrusting our finances and our time and our work to you. Remind us uh, of, of what it was like when we lived with this deep burning desire to walk by faith. I want to read to you just a little story. There was a 19th century Christian man, George Muller. You can, he's got some books that he wrote, just an incredible man of faith. I want to read to you just an account of one small thing that he did and how God worked in his life. George Muller prayed for the conversion of five of his friends. He prayed every day believing that these men would put their faith in Jesus. After five years, after five years, the first one came to Christ. After 10 more years of prayer, two more came to Christ. Once Muller spoke of praying for these five friends while he was in Chicago, he talked about those who had come to faith in Christ and then he talked about the other two for whom he was still persisting in prayer. Muller said, I have prayed for two men by name every day for 35 years on land or sea, sick or well. I have remembered them before God by name. I shall continue to pray for them daily by name until they are saved or die. 
After 35 years of prayer, the fourth man was saved. Muller prayed for almost 64 years for the last friend. He wrote near the end of his life, this is what Muller said near the end of his life, the great point is never to give up until the answer comes. I have been praying for 63 years and eight months for one man's conversion. He is not saved yet, but he will be. How can it be otherwise? I am praying. Finally, Muller died. This friend for whom he persevered in prayer for 64 years came to his funeral. And that day, when Muller's casket was lowered into the grave, there, near the open grave, this friend gave his heart to Jesus Christ. 65 years of every day coming with a simple, insignificant request to God. Just write it down, John. Just write it down. But God, how is this going to help? What is this going to solve? Just write it down. Just trust me with your life. Just write it down. But God, I don't know what to do. Just write it down. But God, I don't know what's going to happen. Just write it down. I'm faithful, John. I'm faithful. I'm in the middle of everything that you care about. I'm in the middle of all of the people that concern your heart. Just write it down. Just be faithful every day. But God, I don't see anything changing. Just be faithful. Just persist because I'm good and I'm faithful. Yeah. I just feel like the thrust of sort of what God is inviting us to this morning is it's just simple, obedient faith that is actually lived out. It's the kind of faith that sets the alarm clock in the morning and gets up. And the kind of faith that gives God attention and time and devotion and heart. The kind of faith that is willing to upend schedules and responsibilities in order to be with God. The kind of faith that comes back again and again and again and again. Even if we don't see what we want to see in the natural, it comes back because it's uh, uh, the revelation, the outflowing of the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. It's the evidence of everything we know about him, all the goodness of God, all of the nature and the character of God. It's the outflow. It's a life that is living in reality what is only presently in the supernatural or spiritual realm. It's a life that's directed not by what we see around us, but by what is possible according to the God who owns the ages, who owns the cattle and a thousand hills, the God who directs kings and queens and nations, the God who heals and restores and renews your life. Would you be willing to come back to developing and strengthening that kind of faith? And would you be willing to start with the small things, with the little insignificant things? Just write it down, John. Just write it down. Just meet me every day. Just get on your knees. Just come to my presence. Let me speak to you. Let me lead your life. Would you surrender your finances and your resources to me? Would you, would you allow me to be the one that leads and directs, that governs your life? Just write it down, John. Just write it down. There are so many things that we hope for so many things even as a church that we're praying for we're still praying for and interceding for the pre-bianca family for georgia and god is just saying just write it down just come back again and again but god we haven't seen the miracle that we're hoping for just come back and just come back and that's why our 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 faith act is as we start this new year the first wednesday or sorry the first monday of every month in 2022 we're going to fast corporately and meet here to pray just write it down but god we don't see things changing just write it down just meet with me just allow me to direct your life trust me with it one last story 
a lot of you are, are new, you haven't been around for a while. And what we're doing, like what, what this is, which I don't even know sometimes what it is, but what this is as a church body uh, started four and a half years ago now. Um, when God invited me to step out in faith and trust him and come into a leadership position I didn't want and to do things I didn't want to do. The first month that that I came, I was only part-time. Some of you know this story. I'm going to tell it anyway. Our church had $240 in the bank account. It was struggling. There, We didn't know... They didn't know what they were doing and didn't know how they were gonna pay bills or make ends meet, let alone like take me on quarter time at the time. And But it was a step of faith that they just felt like they God was calling this church into a new season. A number of months kind of on the job here uh, later in spring 2017, early summer, I sat down with our leadership team and I said, I think God wants to stir some new faith in our church. He wants us to experience things we've never experienced before as a church and to trust him in ways we've never trusted him. And so what I think he wants us to do is to begin annually taking this year end offering above and beyond all of our giving in December. And when I said in December, they said, what? Nobody, nobody's gonna give extra money in December. And besides, this is Canada, like nobody does stuff like that. And besides, we don't have any money in the bank. Like, we don't even know if we're gonna make it to the end of the year, let alone, what are you talking about? And reluctantly, together, in fear and trembling, we, we agreed and we worked through the next number of months. And, and I was terrified as we got to that year-end offering service and that, serve, that offering is just a thank you to God for everything he's done in our life, but also an offering of growth and expansion for everything in the next year that we believe he wants us to do. And so we invited the church to come and to give. And we set up like a, a giving box. We have them back there now, but at this time we'd never done that. We had a giving box at the front and we, we had the audacity to invite people to get out of their seat and come and give an offering at the end of the service. And as people were doing that, I was terrified. Like, I, God, I don't want to be the, the dud leader who's like, this is a failed experiment kind of thing. And later that afternoon, one of our leadership team members said, he texted me and he said, you got to check your email. The, the pad has counted the offering. And I didn't want to check it because I didn't want to be disappointed. And I checked it and from that group of people that was probably less than those who are sitting here today in this one service, less people. I think that offering was in the neighborhood of $130,000. I couldn't believe it. But I, I actually, if I'm honest, I was a little bit, I wasn't upset, I was discouraged. And I said, God, I thought you were gonna do more. <laughs> and, uh, and so I was wrestling with that all week. And I got up the next Sunday. This would now be the third Sunday in December. And I, at the beginning of the service, there's a few people here who were there. I, I, I said, hey guys, like, look what God provided. And I was, I kind of put on a happy face and was like, oh, trying to rally everybody. And as I was talking about what that offering was, somebody bolted out of the back and out the door. And I had no idea what was going on. I discovered that afternoon that she had bolted out the door and made a beeline for my dad's office. And he happened to be in his office. And she said, she said, Pastor Herm, I, I wasn't faithful last week with, with what I gave. God asked me to give more, but I just, I didn't trust him. I didn't, but now I feel convicted. I need to give what, what he, he asked me to give. And so he said, okay. And she said, can I write you a check right now for $70,000? And he just kind of had this deer in the headlights look and said, yes, yes, you can. And she said, I, I just, I realized that my faith last week, it was struggling. But now that I've seen what God has done and what he is doing, it's provoked me actually in my faith. It's stirred me. 
And so at the end of that year, I, I like within a, a week or two, I think the offering was around two hundred and seven or eight thousand dollars. This little tiny church who didn't know what it was doing had two hundred dollars in the bank account earlier that year and was just trying to walk in obedience and faithfulness to God. And over the years, those little offerings of faithfulness at the end of the year, they've allowed us to do the renovation we're doing in the lobby right now and the renovation we did in our kids' space. And those will continue to allow us to pour into the heart of God for our future. And this year, I was questioning, should we do it again, God? Like we have basically a whole new church and it's COVID. And we don't know, like everything's like up, upsy downsy, topsy turvy. Do we do it? And I just felt like God say, yeah, you do because you trust me. But God, what if we don't get the kind of numbers we had before? You trust me, I'm faithful. I give you what you need, not what you want always, what you need. And then earlier this fall, I just sensed God saying, but I want you to trust me in a different way this year. You see, normally we take that year end offering second week of December, which would be next week. And then after that, we have a giveaway offering where we give the whole thing away. And we've been able to bless people's socks off. I think we've given away somewhere in the neighborhood of $100,000 over the last four years in those offerings. But this year, I just sense the Spirit saying, I want you to do that first. I want you to give away as an act of faith, everything on the second weekend of December. And I had my same usual, but God, will anybody give the next week? <laughs> like what's gonna happen? And I just sensed that he just said, you gotta trust me. This right now is putting your faith into practice. And this is what I'm inviting you to this year, which is different than the last years. And so next week, when you come and you give every dime, every penny of it is going to a family from this church. And it's to the Prebianca family. And so I don't know what God is gonna do, but they're in the middle of a story. And as we fasted for them and prayed for healing, things have gotten worse. And that's just the way it is actually. The enemy always comes and he always looks to discourage and to thwart the work of God, but we're not giving up. And we just feel as a leadership team that this is what being faithful to those that he's entrusted us with in our family means this year. Our whole leadership has prayed about it. We've had other people even just prophetically say out of nowhere, hey, we think that our church should do this. And so our little act of faith this year is saying, God, we, we wanna give everything away first. And then what you provide for us in that next week, we'll, that's what we'll trust you with for this year, whatever you wanna do above and beyond this year. We've been on such a roller coaster with COVID and our finances and everything, but he's always been faithful. And this is the way that faith expresses itself. We don't just have hope in Jesus. This is the hope coming to life. And so I wanna challenge you and encourage you next week as you're here, you can be a part of what God is doing in this family. That's a part of our church. We feel God has called us to care for those who are here. And then the week after that, we're gonna challenge you to give above and beyond so that we can see God's expansive kingdom work continue in our church and in our building and as he works those things out. But this is where faith comes into practice. It's small, but we're gonna offer it to God anyway. Why don't you stand with me? And just as you're leaving today, I just, I want you to hear those words of Jesus to John, write down what you see, bring into reality 
what I'm stirring in you, in your spirit. Write it down. But God, it's not enough. Write it down. But God, it's not going to fix everything. Write it down. Bring into reality the small things that he's inviting you to trust him with and just see what he will do. Jesus, I pray for each one here that you would stir and provoke our faith. Our faith isn't rooted in what we can do and how we're gifted or what we have. It is rooted in you, Jesus. And just as I pray, as we close here, I just, I wanna invite you into a simple little exercise. I want you to just hold your hands out before you open-handed. This is a physical demonstration of our reality that apart from him, we have nothing. So Jesus, with our hands open and empty, we say that this is our reality. Apart from you, we can do nothing. And so we need you to fill our hands with the things of your spirit and your life. We acknowledge our deep need for you. We acknowledge that we need you in every area of our life. And so we we just physically demonstrate now what is our spiritual reality, that we are totally dependent on you. And Father, I pray for every need represented here, for every uh, prayer that has been petitioned before you, for every longing that has yet to be fulfilled, for every desire that, that is struggling, for every area of doubt, for every area where faith is wobbling, I am asking Spirit of God for your presence in your life. Speak to your people. Meet us, Father. This week in our lives, meet your people. I pray for a revelation of faith in Jesus' name. Amen.